wherever you are, whenever you're listening in, and even however long you're going to listen for, um, let me just say thank you to, for taking the time, uh, for tuning in. I really hope that um, I really hope that God speaks. I really hope that you get a blessing today. Hope you're a bit moved. Um, I was listening to a podcast in the week. It's a BBC Sounds podcast. It's really, let me um, recommend it to you. It's really, really good. I mean, everything's kind of a podcast now, isn't it? Essentially, it's a Radio 2 segue. The podcast is called What Makes Us Human? And I'm going to ask that one of the team maybe share the link uh, with it later on so you can listen back to it. It's, It's a great listen, What Makes Us Human? Anything, I think, I mean, it's not a, it's not by any stretch a Christian podcast. You could perhaps argue it it shuffles very much through the way. But I think anything that um, shakes us out of the matrix or shows us the matrix rather, anything that shuffles us out of normality gets us to think about bigger things is really good. Uh, the guy on the podcast, they have a different person on the podcast every week. And the guy on the podcast this week was Richard Madeley, uh, which is, I mean, just saying his name is enough for, for many people throughout the UK to um, even maybe now just to switch off at, at this at this point just hearing the words Richard made that I, I quite like him his his theory yes I do I quite like him I had I had spare time in the 90s in the day shall we say and I enjoyed uh, him and Judy's commentary his theory on what makes us human is that we are self-aware he says that so every, every podcast, uh, they explore, you know, one facet of what it means to be human. And he starts off with this theory that self, self-awareness self is what makes us human. And that self-awareness, so he says in his essay, and it's only it's a five-minute listen, really. So it's, it's, it might, might be worth your time. He says that self-awareness has led us to a search. That's what makes us human. We're self-aware, so we, we reach out into the universe and we search. And what we found, and he was almost disappointed as he said this, that that we found that we are cosmic accidents. This was this was Richard uh, Midler's assessments. We are cosmic accidents. We just exist in this huge vacuum of nothingness. So being human really is making the most of the time you've got or dealing with the fact that it's just all emptiness. And he sort of said it with he said it with enough he said it with sorrow actually at the end he said it with sorrow and he said even he said even he, he kind of wished it wasn't true. The wisdom that had become fixed in his mind sort of held him to the fact that we were a cosmic accident. And he, he, he sort of regretted the assessment. I just thought it was a really interesting U-turn. It struck me as a bit of a U-turn in terms of uh, world attitudes. We've probably spent the last hundred years or the last couple of hundred years predominantly certainly in, in the UK, in the, in the West, thinking there might well be a God, but because he's no fun or he's got rules or we've never really thought about it enough, we've kind of, we've kind of wanted to ignore him. And now, I don't think Richard Midley by any stretch represents all of public opinion, but I think he's onto something a bit here. We, when we're presented with facing the, the meaningless existence, we kind of want there to be a God who gives us meaning. And not being able to find God is is tough for us. And Richard Madeley sort of faces this, it, it sounds desperately um, 
disappointed almost at the end as he sort of lives lives in this re, you know this reality he he would probably rather there be a god but he can't he can't get to him and because of the the sort of the wisdom that his mind has sort of gathered over the years or or the wisdom he's heard and accumulated the subject uh, for today the subject that Paul deals with in this letter is a strongholds of the mind and when Paul Maybe you notice as Jude was reading it out, it sounds the language that that he uses. It's it's fairly very militaristic. It sounds like a battle. Lots of talks of strongholds, and you're thinking castles in the back of your mind. But really, in this moment, Paul is painting a picture. He's getting us to think about the strongholds in our noggins, in our heads. He's really when he talks about strongholds, he's not talking about a a castle. He's not talking about spiritual battles in in that sense. He's talking about the fixed opinions that we get, the way that we can go through life and become fixed on certain ways of thinking. And he, he sort of says in this letter, it's possible to have an opinion that's so fixed you can miss God altogether. It's, it's even possible for you to be a Christian. And because of the because of the, the mindsets that you occupy, because of the wisdom that furrows through your head, that you don't get the best out of God. You don't get to experience him, not really. So let me tell you a little bit about the strongholds in Corinth. I know we've been going through this letter for a little while, but it's been a week. And you've had other things to watch and other things to read. Let me give you some context. Paul plants this church in Corinth. And it's this real... When we read about Paul, he's, this is his mission. He's, he's impassioned by this vocation he's got to preach this word to the Gentiles. And when we talk about the Gentiles, that always makes me laugh a little bit. Just basically everybody who's not Jewish, you know, the broader cultures of the world. This is, this is his passion. This is his job. This is his calling. And there's a sense in which, as he talks about it, it's like he, get, you know, he, gets, he gets how tricky this is. This message that's come out of Judaism really you know all the stories of the old testament in judaism and this this grace that's come through jesus to make sense of this whole story not easy to explain to the rest of the world and and he's somebody who who says to himself or god has told him you know he gets this he, he gets this and he's passionate about it and he spread you know he, he spread this word around and churches have, have sprouted up one church that sprouted up in corinth under paul's preaching about this gracious story um of the story of Jesus, but in his absence, and um, people have got in, and so you can, if you read on into the next chapter, chapter eleven, it's eleven verse five. He describes them as super apostles. So I don't know if you're watching this with your Bible open or whatever, but you can go and check it later. He describes them as super apostles, but the, he was being, and I've really gone to like Paul as I've read through these last couple of chapters. He was being sarcastic. The people that had got in were. And what the theologians would call Judaizers, people who had real sympathy and real strong connection with the Jewish way of doing things, and another bunch of people, and not not every theologian says that it's that it's these people, but I think there's enough evidence to say that these kind of people were in the churches, what you would call sophisticates. So this is Greece, remember, and the Greeks love, you know, they love wisdom and they love somebody who can stand there and deliver it really well. And so that's the kind of thing that happened. Paul had planted this church that was soaked in grace, like this little miracle of a story. And he'd gone back to plant somewhere else or he'd got locked up or whatever else the story is. And in his absence, the Judaizers and the orators and the sophisticates had got in 
And what they've done, they've done two things really, and you can sort of see it in the text. They've really undermined Paul. So we, we don't know all the letters that were going back and forth, but there must have been some letters going back and forth. But you can see that the, the, what the message that they've spread to the Corinthian church is that this guy, Paul, you know, it's like, don't listen to him. He's a poor orator. He's not that, he's not that impressive a guy. There's even, you know, you read in between the lines, there's even suggestion that they, that they said he was ugly. He wasn't, you know, he's not, this is not an impressive guy. This is, so I was reading around some of the commentaries say that um, the super apostles were undermining him by saying, you know, this, this guy's a little guy. He's an insignificant guy. He's always getting, you know, he's unfortunate. He's always getting locked up. He's always getting beaten up. It's a short, little, googly-eyed guy. We know about the thorn in his flesh, don't we, that many people think was a problem with his eyes. So they, they, that's the first thing they do. They undermine him. But as as they do that, they undermine him. They undermine his message of grace. And they're spreading around a different message. It's more Jewish message, a bit more of a more pompous message, a bit more of a Greek message. And this message that they're spreading around is is becoming a stronghold. Uh, or it threatens to become a stronghold in the mindset of the people of Corinth listening. And the first thing I would like to just say, just draw your attention to, especially if, especially if you've just happened to be watching this and you've got no uh, sense of Christianity or church at all. The idea that the, the idea that we find the way that we find God has always been a matter of the heart and the mind. It's this is it's not a new problem that our minds have been told something completely different. It's, it's not an, it's not a new thing. It's not a new development. We, there's a there's a sense isn't there, that we live in an enlightened time. Where some, we've discovered something new that really shapes our minds in a in a new way, and it does. But at the same time, a journey towards figuring out a God, it's always been a matter for the, I think, always been a matter for the individual, always been a matter of the heart and the mind of the individual. There's always been a storyline, as there is here, we're going to find out in a minute, always been a storyline that would take you away from it. And Paul sees this struggle, he sees this tension, you know, the, this baby church he's planted, that could threaten to go away from this this gracious message, people coming to faith in God you know, through Jesus. And he gives them, I've just got two reasons, I think. He gives like two insights as to how you might possibly stay with God and find God through like the struggle of life, through the spiritual battle, if you want to call it a spiritual battle, or just the the world that we live in that tells us so many different stories. First thing, want to want to hover over is that and I think Paul points this out at the heart of many of the struggles that we face in life so you think about your own struggles at the heart of loads of the struggles that we face in life is a spiritual struggle which needs a spiritual solution at the heart of many of the struggles that we face in life is a spiritual struggle which needs a spiritual solution it looks from the outside looking in I watched this story and it looks like because because Paul's challenge is his, his reputation and his clout and his status, that's what's been undermined, hasn't it? It looks like the solution should be that he sort of outguns him, that he comes back strong. So he goes to get his mate Peter from Jerusalem or whatever, or he comes back and he preps this. You know, if they're going to tell, 
um, the church at Corinth that he's not a good speaker. He just psychs himself up to deliver. You know, he wrote Romans. He's got to have something amazing in there. He sort of preps himself and bangs it out with this awesome big speech. But look what it says, what Paul does. Verse, verse 3 to 5. Read it with me. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So that those those verses are really the verses that we're just going to focus in on. We've read all of chapter 10, but you know, this verse on the screen just now, this is where we're at really in terms of the message. And Paul says in this moment, he says, if I wage war as the world does, if I, if I deal with this struggle as would seem wise to the world, you know, if I bring anger and I bring this show of strength, or if I prep this awesome fancy talk, what he says, I think here is, or what he realizes is, that he won't affect the strongholds of the Corinthians' hearts. What, what he'll do, in fact, is just ask people to pick the most impressive person. And he knows from the start of, read the start of uh, 1 Corinthians, he knows that in doing this, he just asked people to, to pick the most populist side. He knows that in doing this, fighting the way that the world would fight, waging war the way the world would wage war, that people will miss God. He realizes that. It's a spiritual problem that needs a spiritual solution. Now, our problems, our struggles. I th- so I think, I've been thinking about this in the week. They're not really people coming into the church like Judaizers or sophisticates or orators. Although I, I say that and I say, be really careful which Christian TV program you're watching. Um, be careful when people in church say to you, you should wear this got to sit there those sorts of things be really careful about this but i don't think that that is our i don't think that's our biggest problem if i'm honest i think our bigger problem for us as christians as christians it's more when the worldly wisdom that we hear of which there's loads loads of good stuff loads of good stuff but just i mean it watch your telly switch your phone on pick a magazine up talk to your mates wherever you're at work or down the pub or whatever there's so much worldly wisdom coming at us it's when the worldly wisdom becomes a stronghold in our head becomes this stronghold this fixed object that can't be moved then we miss god i want to give you a couple of examples really quick of how that might work examples of sort of worldly wisdoms that are that just get embedded in our life so so two, and I, I thought of loads, but nobody's going to listen if I list loads. But I wanted, just, I wanted to name a few so you were like, okay, I get where it's coming from. So the first one is, my worth is connected to my appearance. Worldly wisdom. Your worth is connected to your appearance. That's, that's a huge embedded mindset, isn't it, for people? It's, it's huge. I would say, every, whoever's watching this, you're all going to have felt that at some times, that that bit of worldly wisdom that that your worth, your innate value as a human being 
different times of your life is connected to what you look like, how look, how young you can look, how beautiful you can be, how good a filter you can put in it. And we see it all around, around about us. And just this week, Clive Tilsley got the boot, getting on a bit. It's ageism in TV, things like that. You know the the message filters down, doesn't it? As we as we observe stuff like this happening, the pressure that is on, particularly I think teenagers. Probably you know I would I would I would say teenage girls, more than teenage boys, but I reckon now that's changing as well. This huge pressure on our teenagers and our younger people. No, it's not even just teenagers. It's 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 all of us who've got social media. There's huge pressure on us to sort of look awesome. Huge pressure on us to do that pressure on us to look young be be young and this pressure just it like it's tough isn't it because we're only getting older like the amount of dissatisfaction out there amongst people is huge and the scars that the pressure causes is huge and it means you know we rock up at church every week with this and it's hard to avoid this huge mindset that you know what a core value is that our worth is connected to our appearance how can god how can God speak to us? We're not looking for him. Because all our worth is in what we look like. It's just this mindset that's occupied our heads. And he can't help us. If that's the only thing that we're looking for. If that's the only the only thing that gives us worth. Innate worth. That's the first one. The second one. Um, talks about money a lot over the last couple of weeks. Reluctant to talk about it again. But it's just it's such a big feature of our lives. Isn't it? Money's the answer to everything. No matter what the problem is. Money is kind of the answer. I don't know if you if you have this. So I'm just realising this. It was budgeting over the last couple of weeks. Um, you you want your kids to do to be to have a great life. If you've got kids, it's about money. Paying for the clubs. Even if you just want to spend time together with your kids or time together with family or have a nice holiday. Be happy. Everything seems to become about money become such a huge thing such a necessary thing and and it kind of is all about money but at the same time what happens is we get the mindset real quick that's you know everything's connected to money there's no other way around it other than you know we want to be happy with our kids we've just got to get some more money and we want to go on a holiday that's going to affirm us as people we've got to get some more money and how does you know we rock up at church with that mindset it's a huge thing and there's no, I am not pointing out any, like this is totally me and this is totally not a judgment. This is just exactly how, this is because the world spins around the way it does. And we rock up at church with, with this mindset. How does God speak to us? And we get, we get flooded, I think, uh, with worldly wisdom. It's impossible to miss it. Um, and it gets fixed in our head. It becomes a stronghold in our head really easy. And we don't fix it. Uh, by warring, this is what I would say, we don't fix it by warring as the world would war. And we just end up, if we do, we just end up further and further away from God. And that can be messy. And that can leave us rocking up Sunday after Sunday thinking, I just don't feel like I'm getting nearer to God. Or it can mean that we're a person who just never, uh, never gives God a chance. Paul says, and this is the brilliant, lovely, awesome, amazing part of this little text. Paul says that that is not the story. That is not the fate. That is not the trajectory of the Christian. That is not where we're headed. See verse 4. Let me read it out to you again. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary. They've got divine power 
to demolish strongholds. We, this is powerful militaristic language in one sense, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive, hang on this, the end of this little verse, we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. It's like a battle illustration in one sense. You imagine the stronghold. You imagine the battle taking place, the castle on the hill or whatever, and you imagine the the army just plotting over weeks and months and years the most minute detail so that victory is achieved, so that the cattle the cattle the castle is destroyed. But it's not it's not just military illustration, is it? It's an illustration of the Christian mind. What Paul's saying to us here is the impact of what Jesus has done on our psyche. This amazing story of the cross, the Holy Spirit that we get burning within us. Um, The reality of, of getting the grace and the love of God, the reality of all that stuff. So when you become a Christian, when you get saved, when this message means something to you, it says... Every little thought, every little concept, every little corner of your mind, every little mini argument that you take down the road is being reordered, reshaped. See that there? It says, we make captive every thought. It's like this idea that, and that's kind of how our human mind works, isn't it? All the little thoughts that we sort of work out, that we harbour, that we work through, end up making the big thoughts that, that dominate um, dominate our mind. And God's saying to us, and Paul relays to us, that the work that God is doing in us, and we often think like, we often think of the spiritual battle, I think, you know, forces of good and evil, you know, big cosmic things, you know, that kind of thing we think about. Paul describes it here as the tiny little thoughts going on in our heads that are going to construct whether we think this way about something or this way about something. Paul says that God is at work in us to change that mindset. Till we think about money, though it's necessary, we think about that, but we think about joy and contentment more. And we feel differently about our insecurities, the way we see ourselves, our inherent worth changes because we realize that the way God sees us, we see our true worth, we see the true value of things and God ways, God's promises become the big strongholds. Let me just say, if you're struggling in your faith or you've heard you know, the wisdom, you just may be reflecting now, man, you've, there's loads of the wit, the wisdom of the world that's pounding through your head that forms and shapes exactly who you are. Or maybe, maybe, maybe you're watching this and you're like, it's just my opinion's fixed. And even if I wanted to, even if I got, you know, I could be like Richard Madeley, even if I wanted to, there's just no way I can get, no way I can shift that. Here's what I would say to you on the back of, testimony of the Bible, story of Jesus, my own testimony, testimonies of people I've seen. God God is a specialist at completely turning that 
stuff around. If you're a Christian who's saying to yourself at the moment, I'm, I really don't feel like I'm engaging or experiencing God anything like the way that I should. Not only I think is God saying I can turn things around, I would say to you that I think he's trying to turn things around. You know, let him. Let him do that. Second point, it's the last point, and it's a much quicker point than the first point, so don't panic. Ultimately, and this you see this really in verse 18, ultimately it doesn't matter in the Christian battle what anybody else says about you. I say this really carefully. Don't go nuts. It doesn't matter what anybody else says about you, only what God says about you. Ultimately, that's all that matters. I'd love to sit here and say, as a pastor, becoming a Christian means that you move into some ultra-protected holy bubble um, where no one from the outside is going to come in and have a go at you because you're a Christian. Nobody's going to do that. and Nobody from the inside is going to get on your nerves and annoy you and dislike you and make you feel uncomfortable. I'd love to say that, um, but that's definitely not how it is. Look at Paul. And Paul is beaten up, imprisoned, taken the mickey out of, told he's ugly, short, unimpressive, that he doesn't even speak right, um, all by the church. So it's going to be a battle. It is a battle. Maybe you say, yeah, I know that. Read verse 18 again. It's not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one who God commends. See, only his verdict matters. Only his verdict matters in the end. In a world of really strong opinions, it still matters what you think about him. Only his verdict matters, and only what you think about him ultimately matters. I hope in whatever battle, whatever struggle that you're in, whether you've realized this is, this is a spiritual battle, whether you think life's just hard, and you've not thought about it like that before. I hope that thinking about that brings you some comfort. Thank you, everyone, for joining us. We are not going to have our usual chat time today um, and probably won't be having that over the, the summer break. But we don't want to leave you uh, empty handed and we'd like to give you something to think about. And we're calling it our summer takeaway. And we hope that nights are longer, maybe you have little pockets of time in your day or your week where you can just really think through what we've been talking about on Sunday and it can really hit home. Um, Ash talked about faith being uh, something of the heart and mind. So we hope these little sum summer takeaways will help you uh, take God's word deep into your heart and mind. So if you've just got one minute this week, this is our one minute takeaway. We are suggesting that this week, just pray through what the strongholds in your mind might be. Ask God to help you think about those things and challenge some of your thinking on what your strongholds have been. Or give God thanks for the journey that you've been on, that he has transformed some of those strongholds already. So that's our one minute takeaway. If you've got five minutes, then maybe you've got a little bit longer in your week and I, I hope that's true and maybe you've just got a couple more minutes just to think through a little bit deeper then why don't you listen to the song that Joe sang again it's called come thou fount of every blessing
And it talks about an Ebenezer stone, which is a stone they raised in the Old Testament to remind them of the place that God had brought them to. And why not just spend five minutes thinking about maybe what is your Ebenezer stone at the moment? Where's that place that God has brought you to? And praise him for that um, and think about that today. That's our five minute takeaway. If you've got 10 minutes in your week where you can just think a little bit deeper and I allow that to kind of sink down and take root in your in your heart and mind, then our 10 minute takeaway or maybe a bit of a challenge for you this week is to read through Romans chapter 12. It's a real great foundational chapter. Um, Paul, the same guy that wrote 2 Corinthians, wrote Romans chapter 12. And it's really a manual on how our lives can be shaped by God. And it might just help you as you're thinking through uh, strongholds and uh, taking every ca thought captive for Jesus. Then maybe reading through Romans 12 might just help you do that. So one minute, five minutes, 10 minutes. Have a think about what you could maybe think through this week on your summer takeaway. We hope you have a blessed week. We hope God continues to speak to you. And we hope to see you next week, live at five. Take care, everyone. See you soon. Bye.